you for tuning in to episode 88 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction. If you or anyone that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And thank you for the nice words from so many people after hearing last week's episode where I didn't have much of a voice. I especially appreciated all of the remedies that were suggested on how next time that the show could go on. And I actually compiled a few of these uh, for anybody interested. Um, Apple cider vinegar, uh, tea with raw honey, uh, this was a good one. Slippery elm tea with lemon. Not really sure what slippery elm is. Uh, I guess as opposed to the, the much more tractiony elm. Um, sucking on various lozenges, cough syrup, that sort of thing. Uh, moisture with humidifier. Um, gargling warm salt water. And uh, something to do with ginger root. So thank you for all of the feedback and the concern. I am seriously very grateful for that. And do you want to learn how to be happy? Then head over to TonyOverbay.com and enter your email address right there next to where it says Learn How to Be Happy, and you will be one of the first to hear about the dates and details of a program that I am preparing to launch on how, in fact, you can learn to be happy. And for all of you Instagram folks, please find at Virtual Couch and follow. And for those of you YouTube kind of people, um, please find the Virtual Couch YouTube channel there. My guest today, Dr. Laura Sparrow, our interview is up there, and you can always give a thumbs up likey thing to Tony Overbay, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, on Facebook as well. I'm grateful as well for more feedback. There's something about doing an episode about narcissism or personality disorders that just, I mean, it's it's, the feedback just doubles and triples. And so um, I'm trying to get back to uh, to everyone who has written about that. And I really appreciate you taking the time to write. And I am truly grateful that um, a lot of people have kind of found some hope there, some tools, that sort of thing. So trying to get back to to people that have written specifically about that, that episode. I think it was 86 with Christine Hammond. Um, My guest today is Dr. Laura Sparrow, and we get into her background a bit in the beginning of the interview, so she may cover some of this, but um, Laura had emailed me a couple of months ago with some really nice words about the podcast and how it had helped her during a difficult time, and again, I appreciate every every one of those emails. I really do, and admittedly, and this is a part that just kills me, is that there are times where I just feel like I I, I don't, I just can't uh, kind of keep up with, with getting back to people, and I feel so bad about that, and she had written me just right at a time. I think I'd come out of session. I'm waiting for somebody to walk in. The email hit right there, and I read it, and it just, it really spoke to me and kind of touched me, and so... Um, what she is going to talk about, the difficult time that she was having, which is obviously the episode today, it really did. It broke my heart. And a couple of people close to me were going through something similar to what Laura had shared, which was losing a baby kind of later in pregnancy. And I can honestly say that it's one of those times where my heart just goes out to them. And I feel like I almost don't know. I mean, I truly don't know what to do other than to just let them know how sorry I am and to sit with them there with in, with empathy because I can't imagine what they're going through. I don't know if it's the part of me that's a male or if it's the part of me that, um, you know, we, we had, um, uh, you know, we have four kids. I think I, well, I did admit in one of the episodes where um, my fourth child was uh, was part of uh, twins We and, and one of them, um, you know, just within a few weeks, uh, my wife had, had been spotting. And so we learned that at that time that there have been two um, sacks, right? And so one of them was uh, not viable, but then my, my son, um, he's fine, healthy, and actually uh, quite a bit taller than me now, which I hear all the time, which I'm kind of grateful for. Um, but so but so I really can't imagine what Laura was going through or what some of these clients that I've been working with or friends that I've been talking with lately have been going through. 
So I felt like, honestly, Laura reaching out was beyond a, you know, a tender mercy that I really needed to get her on as soon as I could and that there were other people who were either going through this right now that needed to hear her message or that there were people who weren't sure how to talk to people that might be going through something similar. So I just hope that you'll take the time to listen to this, even if you don't have anything similar like this that that is going on in your life or has gone on in your life, because I really feel like about, I don't know, it's maybe halfway through the interview that we just touch on an entirely different level of empathy that, um, I don't know, I just, I felt, I felt kind of just, uh, I just, I was, I I just felt, um, just this conviction while we were talking about empathy. I mean, that's something that I preach all the time is that that's where we need to start. We need to start in having conversations with our kids and having conversations with our spouses, employees. I don't care where it is that we need to seek first to understand before we're understood. And even then, that doesn't mean that we're going to understand what somebody's going through. I will never be able to understand what it's like when Laura talks about being 35 weeks pregnant with her fifth child and the other four have all been been fine of then all of a sudden not feeling, you know, that, that baby move inside of her or I'll never know. So there's no part of me that has any business saying, you know, Hey, just, uh, come on, you know, pick yourself up, just get, get on, get, get past it. Because, you know, I, I just, I, I'll never understand that. So I just felt like we just hit this, this entirely different level of empathy during this interview. And I'm just grateful to have gotten to that level. Cause honestly, it's one of those things where I feel like it's changed me for the better since recording this interview just a few days ago. I've actually thought about it quite a bit and uh, trust me, I am an empathy guy, like nobody's business. And it's even made me think I need more. I mean, I need more empathy in order to really be able to, to try to help and understand people, whether it's my spouse, my children, the people that, uh, that I associate with my clients, but uh, just to be able to sit there with them and understand what they're going through first before I'm able to do any kind of helping or, or hopefully healing. So I won't take any more of your time. Well, actually, wait, <laughs> her background. Let me just share a little bit about Laura. And again, I believe that we cover a lot of this organically through the interview, but uh, she had shared with me that she graduated from Texas Tech University with a PhD in counselor education in December 2016. She has a bachelor's and master's degree in human development and family studies with an emphasis in early childhood development. And she did a lot of research on children with developmental disabilities and their families. And I'd hope to kind of touch on that a little bit, but the interview just was so strong that we didn't really get to that. So I'm going to try to have her on again to talk about some of that uh, as well. Um, She said uh, that she has been married for 12 years. She has five children. Um, Benson is 10. uh, Bryn is eight. Bailey is six. Belle is three. And uh, she's going to talk a little bit more about uh, her experience with her baby, Bodie, who did pass away in October of 2017. She said she lives in Austin, Texas, and currently she is a full-time stay-at-home mom. So let's get to my interview with Dr. Laura Sparrow. Okay, we're going. All right, so uh, here's here's my big, uh, my vulnerability right out of the gate, Laura, is um, when you were giving me your background, you conducted qualitative research, and then you have a word phenomenology for your dissertation. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. I've never heard about that, but it makes me think of like, uh, I don't know, there was an old Muppets thing or something where it was like phenomenon. That, that, do you remember that one? That, oh, I just remembered that when you said it. <laughs> okay. okay. Yeah. So, so what is phenomenology? So phenomenology is basically just taking a subject and trying to tease apart what's going on. So maybe okay. like a subject that hasn't been studied in depth. And so you're conducting interviews, trying to find out what the story is, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So the next time I want to say, let's break this down. Can I say, let's phenomenologize this? 
Sure. <laughs> I don't even okay. know if phenomenology is a word, but All right. well, I mean, well, I can go, I can go, if I say it with enough conviction, people will believe that it is a word. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. Okay. All right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, I mean, I already just broke the rule. I called you, uh, Laura, but you are Dr. Laura Sparrow, which I always love that. I mean, do you have people call you Dr. Laura? No. Well, my husband sometimes is like, Oh, Dr. Laura, or my kids will be like, my mom's a doctor, but not the kind of doctor that like, you go to when you're sick okay. so that's like as much as I get <laughs> okay I love it though I do and then I don't know if you've I'm sure you've thought this or the joke of I always feel like if you're in a plane and somebody says you know somebody's having a heart attack is anyone a doctor I mean you kind of go you know technically I am but I don't know if it would help right now no, you... not that kind okay. <laughs> I won't say a thing right exactly I'll just kind of keep to myself um but so you know and I know I know we're we're talking about a, a pretty sensitive topic today and I'm just so grateful that you are, you are willing to share your story. And, uh, and I kind of mentioned to you before we recorded, boy, I, I'm hoping you're up for doing the heavy lifting and the driving because I feel like um, as a man, you know, in particular, that, and, and even this topic in general is one that I think in, in, uh, in the article that, that I'm going to link to and we'll talk about, where you kind of talk about if someone hasn't gone through something similar, um, would they even have any idea of what, what you've been through or what to say or do? Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to kind of, right. Do you want to kind of just, uh, you know, I don't know the the best way to start. Right. So, um, you had shot me an email and, uh, you want to kind of talk about that? I'm kind of curious, like what led you to feel like, okay, I think this is something that needs to be talked about because I'm so grateful you did. Well, thanks. I'm so grateful that we were able to connect because I feel like it's, a really important topic and something that maybe isn't talked about as much because it's a hard topic. Yeah. So, um, I found out about your podcast from one of my friends had posted that she found your episode. I think it was about finding your emotional baseline. Yeah. It was, she'd been diagnosed with depression and was just struggling. And she said, this is a really good podcast, kind of just like a good, um, if you're interested and you feel like maybe something's off, listen to this and see what you think. Oh, that's nice. And so, yeah, so I, and I um, have a background and my um, PhD is actually in counseling. So I'm always interested in like mental health things um, and kind of, anyway, so I jumped on and listened to your podcast and really liked the idea behind what you're doing. I just feel like it's a really good way to like, I feel like psychology and sometimes counseling and therapy and stuff seems so overwhelming and big to people that they just avoid it altogether. Yeah. And I feel like, the way that you break down topics makes it really approachable and practical and people can understand what you're talking about. They don't have to have like a background in psychology. So great. Yeah. No, that makes me feel good. I appreciate that. Um, when I started reading or when I listened to your podcast, after I listened to it, I thought, well, maybe I should like look and see if he's done anything with like loss or, um, because we experienced a loss last year. And I thought, let me see what else he has. I didn't really see anything and kind of, just started looking at, you know, for different options um, on podcasts. I hadn't really thought about that before as like a resource. I've been reading a lot of books, but, um, and then I just had like the impression that maybe I should send you an email. Yeah. And, so, I was, and I was grateful. And I, I think I had shared with you, um, I mean, imposter syndrome kicks in, but I just, I, I get a lot of emails and I feel so bad when I don't get a chance to respond. And I think I had come out of a session and there was yours and I had been working with uh, a couple of clients that have experienced similar, not, I mean, I know it's all different, but kind of something in this area. And, uh, and I really, I just had to go all in on empathy mode in the sessions because I really don't know what to do or say. 
So I, I do really feel like the timing was just perfect. And this is kind of, this needs to get out there. Good. I'm glad. I'm so glad you reached back out and we were able to connect because I feel like it's a, a good thing to talk about. And I feel like the more open um, we are about it, maybe the more information that people have, the easier it is to cope with and to kind of feel like you're not isolated. And so, yeah. so, you know, so go ahead and tell your story, Laura. Sure. So um, I, we live in Texas. I uh, recently got my PhD. I started going to school when I, I had my oldest, he's now 10. And when he went, when he, um, about a month after he was born, I decided I had a master's degree and decided I should go back to college and got, uh, started my PhD program part-time. And then I finished that in December of 2016. Mm. And so, and then once I finished that, we were kind of in transition where we thought that we might move and we did end up moving. And kind of when that, whole transition was going on. I found out that I was pregnant and was super excited. So I have um, four kids and then that are the oldest is 10. And then my youngest is three. And then we have a baby Bodie that I'm going to talk about a lot that he was born last October. So a little over a year ago. Um, and so basically we were just kind of in transition during my pregnancy. Um, but I was, healthy, fine. He was fine. Everything was just really normal. And I've never really had any complications with any of my other pregnancies. And so, so everything was just, you felt like everything was going along fine. Yeah. 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 I'm curious. uh, Are you one of those who do you enjoy being pregnant? I mean, or do you, is it, let's just get this done with and and bring me the baby or. So the first time I was pregnant, I was like, Oh, that's not so bad. Like what do people complain about? You know, yeah, you're a little bit uncomfortable. By my fifth pregnancy, I was like, wow, this is, <laughs> this, you know, you've got all these little kids running around and just the exhaustion. And then I think just like it's taking a toll on your body kind of. Yeah. So, and definitely because we weren't in a house, we weren't settled. We didn't know exactly where we were going to be. It was a weird time. So I was just kind of trying to fast forward through the pregnancy. And I just kept saying like, okay, once he's here, then we'll get back to normal. We'll be able to get everything kind of situated. So I definitely, especially with this pregnancy, don't feel like I, and now I regret it a lot, but don't feel like I necessarily enjoyed it as much. I didn't like take maternity pictures or have, it was just more like what we need to do to get this done. Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. And kind of to normalize, right. As somebody who has, I have four kids and it is that, I know the joke is always the first one you're, you go all in on there's pictures of everything and every minute. And by the you know third or fourth one, it's like uh, you got a school picture where they're holding up their fingers and then you know, hopefully some stuff around the birthday. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. So I think though, as far as the pregnancy, um, I, everything was fine. The doctor, I found a doctor and we were living in Frisco, Texas at the time. I found a doctor that I really liked and she, um, we were doing, you know, regular checkups, but everything was normal. Just a week before he actually passed, we had had an ultrasound and she was like, he's measuring good. Everything's good. He's in good position. So, um, for me, it was definitely not even a thought in my mind, like something could go wrong or might go wrong. Sure. Uh, And then when, the net that next week, so it was like October 5th, October 6th, around the, that time, 
I like had this thought, like I haven't felt the baby moving as much as normal. And so I just thought like, that's weird. I don't, you know, I, I feel like he's not moving as much. And, um, you know, told my husband and he was like, okay, we'll just like, let's sit and see if we feel him moving. And it was kind of like, I don't know, maybe something's wrong. Maybe something's not. And I called the doctor and they said, you know, drink a Red Bull. Mm. See if you feel you've got an hour to kind of like see what's going on or whatever. And so I did. And I thought, I'm just going to go into the hospital. Cause I'm not like, just to be sure that everything's fine. Sure. Yeah. So, but I remember calling my sister on the way to the hospital and talking, I mean, by that point I was so far along that I was thinking maybe he's just moved down so much that I'm not feeling it. Mm. You know? And so I called my sister and said, Hey, do you remember like kind of at the end, not feeling a move as much? And she was like, I don't know. You should probably just go in just to make sure. But again, like not really thinking anything was wrong. And once I got to the hospital, um, told them what was going on, they said, okay, we'll just do um, a stress test and make sure everything's fine. And when they started doing that stuff, I remember like it taking a long time. So I was by myself. My husband was home with our kids. They had the day off of school. And so I said, I'm going to go to the hospital. I think everything's fine, but I'll, you know, I'll call you in. So um, anyway, when they did the ultrasound, the nurse was like, well, I can't find a heartbeat, but I'm not very good at this. So she went and got another nurse. At that point, Laura, were you starting to kind of get a little nervous or? I mean, I was, except that the nurses kept asking me questions like, Right. They were going through kind of the protocol of like, what's your social security number? Um, right. Okay. How many pregnancies are you planning on breastfeeding? Like all of the normal things. So I thought it was weird, but I guess I just thought like they they wouldn't be asking me these questions if there was like something really wrong. Right. You know? Yeah. And so I just kept trying to tell myself like, it's fine. I'm fine. And so I was preparing myself, I guess, for like, maybe the baby's like, he's going to come early and we're going to have to deliver soon or maybe i'm gonna have to stay in the hospital for monitoring or something gotcha so in your mind it's you're starting to make that transition to okay maybe that maybe stuff's about to happen and uh i mean where you were leaning yeah yeah and so i mean i don't think that it still like dawned on me that anything could be really really wrong um and then they had a doctor come in they said you know we're gonna hook you up to the machine and um do an ultrasound just kind of see what's going on and when he came in like I knew once they said that, I was like, I don't like, that seems off to me. Right. And so, but I was just kind of trying to talk myself down. of like, it's going to be fine. I'm just being like jumping to conclusions. It's going to be fine. And then he came in and was like, I'm so sorry. There's no heartbeat. Oh. And so that was just like immediate, like just really disorienting. Sure. You know what I mean, yeah. And then it, I, I mean, that moment, is it surreal? I mean, do you, do you feel like it's your, your, you know, out of body yeah. kind of experience or definitely. So for me, like, I just kept thinking like, that isn't true. Like I was like, that's a mean thing to say kind of, Yeah. if that makes so no, it does. And I was like, why would they say that? And then I was like, they're, I know they're wrong. Like I know everything's going to be fine and they're just confused. Probably the machine's broken or something. But then I remember like, trying to pull myself back to and be like, well, I can't like act hysterical or I don't know what I thought they were going to do. Yeah. Like, they're going to think I'm crazy. So 
I was like, I just need to like go to the bathroom. And so I went into the bathroom and then kind of just fell apart. And then, um, I don't know. It just seems so, it was such a weird thing. And then trying to like call my husband and talk to him and I couldn't really talk and having the nurse. It's, I mean, I remember pretty distinctly what happens, but it does seem like you said, kind of an out of body experience too, where you're like, this can't be happening to me. I must be having a dream that I just can't wake up from. Right. Okay. So I think that that like, and even up until he was born, I was pretty convinced in my mind. I mean, I wasn't saying it to anybody else, but I was like, I feel like he's going to be okay. Probably we're going to have to stay in Nike or something like that. Yeah. So, so then at that point, then when you come out of the bathroom and I mean, is that what do they, I I don't, did you end up staying in the hospital at at that point? Yeah. Yeah. So once I got there and then they had kind of gone through that, you know, they said, we're going to call your doctor and let her know. Um, and she'll be here. And then I had a nurse that I feel like, I'm like, are you, I don't know. To me, she was almost like an angel of like, she was there for me because she was like, I'm not going to leave until she's here because my husband wasn't there either. And everybody else just kind of after they just took all the machines and everybody left. And so, um, so yeah, having her there and she just held my hand and kept telling me it was going to be okay. And then my doctor came in and explained to me kind of the options. And she said, so you can go home if you want, we don't have to deliver today. Um, or, you can stay and we can go ahead and induce labor. And I think, again, that like, and I think somewhere around then is when like I first heard the word stillborn and thought like, oh, that like is a possibility for me. Mm, okay. Because I guess, I mean, obviously I've heard the word before, but I always thought of it in relation to something that happened in like the 1800s. Okay. Like, yeah. It happened a long time ago or something that happened sometimes when there was an issue with the pregnancy or the baby or something like that. Yeah. So and and at that point when they, Oh, go ahead. ahead. I would say when, when, when they're just saying we can't find a heartbeat and and now she's going into, we can do it now or later. Did you still, had they given you, I know in the article you talked about what, you know, what was the cause uh, but did they tell you that at that time or did you still not know? So my doctor didn't know for sure. She was like, what I would guess just based on your medical history and that everything was fine. It was probably an umbilical cord accident. And she was like, but I don't know we can't tell right now for sure. Yeah. And so, cause that's the other thing I think like not having any kind of forewarning that anything was wrong. Right. It was really hard for me to wrap my mind around like, no, he was fine. You know? Yeah. yeah. And so, um, yeah. So she kind of explained that, that it, probably was the umbilical cord being wrapped really tightly. And that's ended up, that's what it was. Um, And it's just really like an uncommon thing. I feel like it's like statistically like one, I think it's um, about one in a hundred babies. So about 1% of pregnancies are stillborn. Okay. Uh, Which is to me, surprisingly high, especially the U S has a lot higher um, rates than other, a lot of other countries that have similar medical medical um, technology and yeah. treatment stuff. Um, 
Have you looked into, have you looked into what, what, why that is? I mean, now does your research background kind of kick in? And I mean, some, did you end up going back and looking at a lot of research around this? Yeah. So I've looked at a bit at first, it was really hard to like do that. But then also like, I felt like I needed all these answers. Yeah. Um, It's gotten where I have like a little more distance and can kind of not feel like, I don't know for, it was just really hard for me to be like, this is like, this shouldn't have happened to me. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, yeah, like maybe now when I read research, I don't start getting obsessed over it and like, can't stay up at night and try to figure this stuff out. It's just more like reading to get more information and see, cause I think it is something that's maybe not talked about. I mean, I don't remember with any of my pregnancies ever, obviously they talked to you a little bit about miscarriage in the beginning and, kind of signs and ways to try to avoid that. But to think that like, I mean, I don't remember anybody saying anything about stillbirth or that this is, it just didn't compute, I guess, for me that that could happen. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, I think that it, and specifically like with my, cause I've had two other kids that had the umbilical cord wrapped around their neck when they were born um, and they were both fine. Okay. And it's actually fairly common to have like the umbilical cord wrap. So I think the statistics that I was looking at, I mean, I think it's like one in like 10,000 stillbirths would be caused by the umbilical um, cord. It's okay. just not something that normally they even really monitor for because it's usually not an issue. Mm, okay. So, so then what was that like to, I mean, at that point, and were you still kind of thinking, this, this isn't, you know, he'll be okay. I mean, was that what was part of the, did you want to then deliver at that time? I mean, was that? Um, I just felt like I couldn't go home. Yeah. So I just thought like, I can't face my kids. Hmm. I don't even know what I would tell them or what I would, it was just too hard to think of that. And I think that, yeah, in my mind, I just kept feeling like it they were like confused. And yeah. so, and kind of the whole, right. You start bargaining with God. Yeah, kind of thing. Right. Like, right. Like I know you can save him, whatever. Like all of just kind of, it was a pretty dark, especially that night while I was in labor and waiting to deliver. of just trying to like wrap my mind around something when I was so, so disoriented and just kept thinking this has to be a mistake. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, and you, you talked about, um, in, in one of the, I don't know if it was in our email or in your art, well, no, in the email where you said one of the most striking things you've noticed is how prevalent, uh, guilt and shame come into play with the, with the bereaved mom. So, I mean, was that starting to then during that process? I mean, especially yeah. during the bargaining or, or, you know, what was that like? Yeah. So I think, um, especially before we knew for sure what had happened, I just kept replaying like the days before and thinking I should have come in earlier. I should have known how could this have happened. And I not known that like what's wrong with me that I wouldn't realize that something was going on, you know? And so I think that was really hard. Um, My doctor actually helped a lot with that and talked me through it and just said, you know, you, you don't know. There's no way she was like the, only sign that something's wrong is 
that you feel lack of movement. And that's when you come into the hospital. Yeah. And she said, really, by that time, it's too late. Like, there's no way you would have known. But for a long time, I just couldn't get past that. Like, just feeling like it was my fault. Did I maybe eat something? Or the day before, my kids had had like a little um, race. They did like a little fundraiser where they were doing laps around the school. And so my, my three-year-old and I had been there and watching them. And I thought like, maybe it was, I was on my feet too long and I pushed myself too hard or right. Like trying to make sense of it. Um, and I think also the sense of isolation really contributes to that feeling of like game, um, Schultz, uh, shame and guilt. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Where you just kind of feel like you don't want people to know because they're going to think that you're a terrible person. And yeah. And, and that's the part where, and I'm, and I know maybe we're going a little out of order, but that's the part that just breaks my heart as a therapist, because I feel like I, I know maybe a clinical tool, maybe, you know, acceptance and commitment therapy, where if your goal is to be there for your kids or to move, you know, whatever that is, that it's like normal to have the thoughts, you know, and we're not, you know, saying, that it's uh, bad to have the thought, but then is it, is it a productive thought? But even as I'm saying that to somebody who is going through this, I feel like, man, this is not, I don't even know what I'm saying, you know, cause I really don't, I can't, I, I don't know. I can't imagine what that's like. So I feel like even as a, as a, as a therapist, um, you know, my, my empathy meter kind of overflows. And then I feel like I go into just cliches. And I think that you had talked a little bit about that, right. Where um, when people just tell you the, you know, I don't know. You can have another one or, or it's, Hey, it's going to be okay. Or, I mean, yeah, definitely. So what, what helped you in that? Yeah. Or you go on that for a little bit, like what helped or, or what people say or do, or what's good or, you know. So I think the thing that helped the most, um, one of my friends, I texted her cause I couldn't really talk. Like I was just so upset and sad that it was really hard to talk. So I, like, after I found out, I texted my sister that I'd been on the phone with and just said, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. Can you call mom and dad and tell them? And then I kind of had my husband, once he got there, help with that, like call people and stuff. Cause it was too hard for me to talk, but I texted one of my good friends. Um, we had moved from New Mexico, not too long before that. And so I texted her and told her and she um, texted me back and was just like, I'm so, so sorry. I found out at the soccer, or she's like, I'm at a soccer game and I'm just crying. Like, I don't know what to do. And just knowing that she cared and that she was crying and that it like affected her, I think was a lot more helpful than like anybody saying it's going to be okay. And this wasn't the plan for you or for him or whatever, which I know like that's well-intentioned. And I feel like a lot of people, because they don't know what to say, think, well, I have to say something. So let me say something positive. Yeah. Right. And so. Which which then does that, does that play into the, the, the guilt or the shame of man, why I should be thinking positive too. What's wrong with me? I mean, does that kind of play into that? Um, I don't know if I thought that it was like, oh, I should be thinking okay. positive. I think it was more just like thinking they don't know what they're asking me to yeah. do. Like yeah. you're asking me to say that my child, like it wasn't meant to be like, how do you yeah. reconcile that? 
you know? Yeah. And then I think that it also kind of played into, well, especially when it's like religious cliches of like, God doesn't give you more than you can handle and all of that kind of stuff. And I didn't get a lot of that. I feel like most of the people that talk to me, especially friends and family, just said, I'm so, so sorry, you know? And that, I mean, that's all you can say. I'm so sorry. What can I do? Or I'm going to do this. Like it wasn't because there wasn't any way to fix it. It wasn't, I need somebody to, you know, do anything. I just um, don't want to, to be thrown deeper into the, like, why did, because it makes it sort of seem like, well, then God's doing this to you because he knows you can handle it. Kind right. of thing. I don't, I, I would never choose this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want, if that's what being strong means, I don't want to be strong or being able to handle things. I just thought like, no, that's not, I will, you know? And so I think that, um, I think that, and I also think that it's really important when people are trying to be supportive and to realize that like, just saying you're sorry, they're sorry and checking on you and saying, I don't know what to say, but I'm so sorry is really so kind and so reassuring to just have somebody kind of sit there and be with you in the sadness instead of feel like you're like I read a book that said she said I it was by a woman that um had uh had experienced this stillbirth and her baby was 40 weeks so pretty similar situation had no idea anything was wrong and she said I feel like I'm a cautionary tale like no one like I'm like an untouchable person I don't want to be around pregnant women because I'm afraid that whatever bad Right. whatever I have is going to rub off on other people. And I think that that kind of plays into the shame and guilt too, of like you're at this time when you're supposed to be really happy and excited and people are having baby showers and doing things to celebrate your baby. And then your baby dies. And what do you do with that? Like what, what do people do with that? Yeah. Yeah, no, I like, so, I mean, really, I like how you said it's more just this, to be there with you, to sit there with you, kind of that whole definition of empathy, right? Yeah. Um, and you mentioned that maybe it, in that were people just saying, I will, I'll do this for you. Or, I mean, I've got a, uh, uh, an old, uh, ecclesiastical leader that would say that, you know, he would just always go mow somebody's lawn, wouldn't ask, wouldn't, mm-hmm. you know, but it was like, what can I do? That kind of thing. Yeah. But I, but I, but I just want to real quick too, because uh, I deal a lot. I remember when I was a brand new therapist and I, I can't lie. I remember the first couple of times where I used those, uh, all these things will be for your good, or you won't be given more than you can handle thinking that, oh man, they'll love this. Right. And just mm-hmm. immediately feeling like, oh, I no, I don't, I, that isn't helping me right now, you know? Yeah. And, and, and I do feel like, uh, that's something that a lot of people, you know, they think that, oh, wow, you know, Laura's probably never thought of this part, right? I mean, but but it's so much deeper than that. Well, and I think that you realize, like, at least I realized that I was making other people feel awkward. Okay. So it was sort of like, I didn't want to be around very many people because I didn't, I knew they didn't know what to say to me. And I didn't want them to feel weird about not knowing what to say to me or them being like, Oh, I'm saying the wrong thing or whatever. 
Um, but having like this idea that, yeah, I think because especially something like this, where there's not like, there wasn't choice involved, right? right. It wasn't like there was an accident, um, like a car accident or something and somebody made a wrong turn or somebody, it, and there wasn't even like medically, nothing was wrong except kind of this freak thing yeah. that really never happens that it was hard for me to, I guess, wrap my mind around like that. I don't know that like, you know, God's a perfect God, but he doesn't come in and, and take away our agency or things like right. that. And I thought, well, what about in this case? Cause yeah. there was no agency. Like there was nothing. I felt like on the one hand, I felt like it was my fault. And on the other hand, I felt like there was nothing I could do to prevent it from happening. Yeah. So trying to reconcile that and then trying to feel like if I was really, really sad or doubting that this should have happened to me or that this was the plan or whatever, that that meant that I wasn't faithful or whatever, like that was just too much. Okay. And I'm glad you addressed that because I mean, I, I do hear that when people are trying to process these things. And again, I'm not even, that's hard for me to do anything, but just sit there in empathy but you want to just say, you know, no, it, it's not about the what had happened two days ago, or it's not this, or you're not a bad person, or it's not because you didn't, you know, pray enough, or you you missed some Sundays, or, but you know, in that moment, do you just do you just kind of re- advise just to let if you know just let somebody kind of go with that a little bit, let them get that out there. I mean, because do you feel if somebody was kind of you know combating you on those thoughts, was that not helpful? Um. Yeah, I think. For me, it was more like, I felt like I knew sometimes that I was being unreasonable when I was going, I feel like it's my fault. I feel like this is so unfair to like, especially I felt like a really deep sense of loss for my kids. Oh, okay. That was really hard to think like, like my son, my oldest, um, that's 10. When we found out it was a boy, I mean, he was over the moon excited you know? And yeah. so I felt like that had been stolen and taken from him. Oh, um, Cause your other yeah. ones that uh, you got three girls after him, right? Yeah. Ah, yeah. So okay. I, have, I have Benson's my oldest, he's 10. And then I've got an eight year old, a six year old and a three year old. And you just kind of like, that was really hard because he, especially like when people would say whatever, they're a little, you know, helpful thing is of like, Oh, well, everybody goes through hard times or something like that. And I thought, you know, this isn't the same as like losing a job or right. it's, yeah. it's just not the same. And even if it was like, this is my trial, I don't feel like it's fair that my kids have to wow. confront something that I can't even understand as a, as an adult, like why would they have to confront that when they're tiny? Yeah. Know? They're just so little. And so um, I think that, yeah, I just think that like most of it is really people that are willing to listen to you okay, and not treat you like, I mean, I definitely think that you have to be like, people should be sensitive to it and not just be like, Hey, I'm having a baby and I hate being pregnant and blah, blah, blah. Right. All of those things kind yeah. of hit you like, man, like, Whoa, that's, <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, but at the same time, I think that sometimes being like feeling like you're a pariah or that no one can talk to you and no one knows what to say. So they don't say anything 
is really hard too. So I feel like it's really hard to navigate for family members um, and friends that haven't experienced loss because they're, they don't know what to say, you know? Yeah. No. So I think I love that. I mean, when I love that, so I think that where, where we're going, I, I so it's some of the questions that I, that I, that I had here were how do family members or friends support, you know, a bereaved parent and, and, and how do they understand their children or how do they help their, their children understand? And I mean, I feel one of the big takeaways is, is being, being able to talk about it and mm-hmm. not feeling like you have to go fix and judge the person. Right. So yeah. and you said that one of the things when you, uh, you've attended group counseling for women and you've done some individual therapy, but I love this. Uh, you said, in my experience, giving voice to my feelings without being encouraged to quote, look on the bright side mm-hmm. or move on have been the most helpful part of therapy. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, it, so it really is more about just being no, not afraid to talk about it, but also not feeling like you have to fix it. So kind of just mm-hmm. being willing to kind of sit there with right. it. Okay. I think that for people that are very action oriented and they're like, I want to do something for her. Um, what I would recommend is doing things like sending a gift. I have a necklace that I wear almost every day that has Bodhi's name on it that some friends sent to me. And I love it because I feel like it just reminds me of him. It's something really small, but it's a big deal to me. Do it like sending something like that or texting on um, like a birthday or on even like around holidays and saying like, Hey, how are you doing? I know this might be a hard time. I love that you're saying that. Cause I mean, I feel like, um, and again, I go back to my before therapist life of where, you know, I don't know. I don't know if they want to talk about this. or I don't know if they want to hear about this, but it's not as if you're not thinking about it. I had a brother pass away when I was 21. He was 24. And I remember for a few years, even it's like, should I say to mom, like, do you remember, uh, this is Tim's birthday or not? And it's like, of course she's thinking about it, you know? So, I mean, I think later on it was, yeah, it's nice to say, Hey, I'm thinking about you thinking about him. I mean, so yeah. So that kind of what you're saying is don't be afraid to send those messages or I love that. A lot of the like groups, um, that I've either been part of or like talk when I've talked to other moms that have gone through this or something similar, I mean, infant loss and child loss. I think a lot of people are just really terrified that everybody's going to forget about their kid besides them. And so hold on to that pain because that pain is what they feel like connects them to their child. Yeah. I think that when they have other people that say their child's name and they include them and say like, get a Christmas ornament. And you know, if you're the grandma getting a Christmas ornament, if you get it, if you get a Christmas wow. ornament for the grandkids, including the baby that's passed or just little things like that, I feel like are so meaningful and they help the parent to get through that need to necessarily like hold on to this, like, really hard like grief of I I need to remember how sad I am because no one else yeah cares I like so it's almost like uh being able to talk about it giving a voice um to the experience talking about you know uh, saying saying you know Bodhi's name and those sort of things I mean that's like a whole shift to to taking away that what if everybody forgets right I mean and it it will help Mm -hmm. you just continue to process that in a good way, a positive way. Yeah. And I think that it's helped my kids too. I've, that's one thing that I've been really interested in and kind of feel like um, something that I hadn't thought of before this experience that I 
feel a lot more strongly about now is that kids need to be told what's going on in really concrete ways. Okay. Because it's really confusing and overwhelming. And if they, I mean, it's really hard. Like at first I just cried all the time and I felt like I was going to scare my kids. Mm. And so I felt like I need to just be away from them so they don't see me or whatever. And I think there is some of that for you. You don't want it like kids are very concrete. So it's like how they're feeling in the moment. My kids would cry one second and say like, I'm so sad. And then the next minute they would run off and play. Okay. You know? Yeah. So realizing that, yeah, they're not going to be, and they shouldn't be, sitting there just going over everything 24 seven, but they still need to understand what happened. We had, we decided to have our kids come to the hospital to meet Bodie and to hold him. And we had okay, to talk about that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Cause I, I didn't even know until working with some people that have, have gone through this um, that that's, I mean, I love that that's part of this. Right. I mean, and that's a big part of, Hey, you know, this is Bodie and he's, he's, you know, you can hold him. And, and I love that you took pictures of him and, Right. Yeah. So we took pictures. We had a good friend of ours came to the hospital. She's a photographer and she took pictures Mm. um, and the kids held him and it was so sweet. And so in so many ways, like such a beautiful experience that um, even though it was so heartbreaking, that's like the time in the hospital that I can look back and be like, thankful that it happened. Mm. Like thankful that that peace happened for our family and our kids because I felt like before that I was in such a dark place that I didn't I was just terrified that I was going to do the wrong thing and I didn't know how to have my kids like I didn't know what to tell them I didn't know if they should come if I was going to scare them and so for me and our I mean I think it's a really individual decision I was really glad that we did that and I feel like my kids definitely feel very connected to him. We say prayers for him every night. They nice. talk about him. We have like on Valentine's day, we send Valentine's, we make little Valentine's and we send to my mom to put on his grave. Um, Cause he's, he's buried on my parents' land. And so just things like that, I feel like um, help them realize that he's part of their family and that it's not just this sad, scary thing that nobody can talk about. I love, and I'm, you know, I know there's going to be people that are going to listen to this that have experienced this and maybe didn't know, you know, they didn't know what to do and they maybe didn't do that with their kids. And again, no, no guilt or shame there. And do you feel like in your opinion, Hey, we could still even bring it up now, or we could get the kids around and talk about it. And it's okay to talk about, you know, their, their brother or sister. And, you know, do you feel like it would be healthy to kind of, try to start to normalize that more if someone hasn't done that. So I think for us and just our situation, um, we felt like the kids should come Yeah. To the hospital. I think that's really individual. Mm-hmm. I wanted to hold him. I held him the whole time we could, like I just wanted him with me. Yeah. I know that's not the same for everybody. And I think that it has to be a really individual experience and, family and health providers should just support whatever the parents are like. Yeah. And I think think there's like a template for like, this is the right way to do things. I do think that not ever addressing it with kids 
or really like addressing it in really abstract ways is really confusing. To okay. Get. And I think that's where I was going with that too. Right. So if someone feels like, man, I didn't handle it right at this point, Hey, no guilt or shame around that, you know, move toward whatever is authentic for you. So, right. right? right. Um, Cause I know I get questions about, you know, even if somebody says, how many kids do you have? You know? And if, uh, so when you get that question, what, how do you answer that? I mean, for you. So that was a big thing at first. I just like sat on the couch every night and I was like going through my mind of like, how I'm like, how do we go forward? What do we do now? And that was one of my big things. I just kept telling my husband, like, what am I going to say? If somebody asked me how many kids we have, what do I do? And so for me, what I've kind of, again, I don't think there's like a template. I don't think there's a right answer or a wrong answer. Um, a lot of the women that I've talked to that have experienced similar loss, a lot of them say, you know, like in my situation, it would be five mm-hmm. and they'll say, you know, one lives in heaven or. That, okay. I was, I was, like yeah, I was shuffling papers to get to uh, in my notes at the end of the article on the Gottman Institute, which I will link to. And man, I hope that everybody who, if they've, if they've, you know, if they know someone that's experienced this, even if not would read that because there's, I think there's some really important stuff about empathy. I want to, I want to talk about that in the article too, but if you're the, your sign off, your uh, signature, Dr. Laura Sparrow has a PhD in counselor education. Her research focuses on supporting children with developmental disabilities and their families. Um, Laura and her husband, Mark live in Austin, Texas with their children, Vincent, Bryn, Bailey, and Bell. Laura and Mark also have an angel baby Bodhi who lives in heaven. I just think that is beautiful, right? Thanks. Yeah. And for me, it's easier to talk about it. Like if I'm typing it or it's on social media, it's a little bit easier for me to share. Um, Typically when I like am meeting someone new and they ask me, it kind of just depends on the situation. Sometimes I say four kids because I don't feel like I can handle the follow-up questions or I don't feel like I can do it. And sometimes I say five and I told my kids too, because my kids, I realized like, they get that too. Like they'll hear somebody say, Oh, you have four kids. And my three-year-old was like, no, our baby brother Bodie died. And then, you know, the target cashier was like, I'm so sorry. Right. Like it makes it really awkward and you kind of feel bad for making them feel bad. And it just becomes this big thing. And so after I, after that happened once and I didn't know what to say and just kind of broke down into tears and my kids were all standing there going, and stuff Mm -hmm. then we talked about it and said like you guys can answer that however you want we know he's part of our family if you want to tell people about him you can if you don't want to tell people and it's something that's more special and private for you that's okay too and it doesn't have to be an all or never I love that I really do I mean I feel like that's that's there's so many good things that I think people are going to take away from this of that uh because that's some of the stuff I hear is sometimes I want to say this. Sometimes I want to say this almost like I'm crazy. Right. You know, and, and no, you're, you're experiencing it. You're, I mean, it's there, like say no template. And uh, the cliche that I do think is correct is no real way to, no correct way to grieve um, or loss. I mean, this is like, this is the, you're, you're processing it because this is unique to you. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. There's a part of me and I want it before we get to the part, one of the things in the article I want there's, man, I just feel, I was finding myself almost getting angry of thinking of what people could think of when, when, you know, when you're talking about holding Bodhi or taking pictures of, and if somebody doesn't know what this is about, you know, and if anyone, you know, thinks, Oh man, I I wouldn't do that or whatever. That's the part where I want to say, 
you know, like that, that's what don't, that, I mean, that's a, keep that thought to yourself or on the inside and, and just right. have empathy. Right. Because, and I think that kind of segues into the, in the article that you wrote, you talked about posting a picture of a drawing that your five-year-old drew for Bodie with the caption, I love you, sweet boy on Instagram. Right. Can mm-hmm. I talk about what happened next there? So I typically around like he was born on October 7th. And so like on the seventh of every month, a lot of times I'll post, you know, a little picture or just something. And I feel like for me, it's just a way to remember him and to give other people like, um, like my family and my friends, my good friends, um, a little bit of connection to him because they don't have, I realize like they don't have the same connection with him that I did. Right. Like because of the circumstances and the situation. Um, and so anyway, I posted something and then it kind of came back to me that somebody was like, I wish she would stop posting things like that. It's really depressing and she should get over it. I don't, I mean, I don't know exactly what right, right. it kind of like where it was, I was like, well, that's really weird. And so, um, I, you know, thought, told my sister and was like, Hey, somebody said this, like, what do I do? And she was like, that's the meanest thing I've ever heard. Just block her never. And it wasn't even anybody that knows me well. It yeah. was fine. So I just said, you know what? That's her issue, obviously. Um, and then, but then I started going back into the like, oh my gosh, am I oversharing? Am I like, do people think I'm trying to get attention or that I'm making a bigger deal about this? Like, maybe I'm not like feeling like, oh, well, maybe even though, you know, I feel like he's my child and he's just as much a part of my family as all of my other kids. Maybe everybody else is thinking something different and that, right. you know, and so I think that going into that spot was really not productive for me. Yeah. And as I read other people's experiences of feeling, you know, like their kid was left out of the, whatever the Christmas photo and being yeah. sad about that and then them saying that and people saying like you need to stop it doesn't need to be about you or it's not always about you kind of stuff I was going yeah that's not right like right if you want to include them I don't think anybody should be forced to talk about a loss if they don't want to sure. but by the same token nobody should tell someone that's lost a child that they need to be over it or you're bringing me down. Right. It's like, you know, Oh, Hey, sorry that that's making you uncomfortable when you look on, right. You know, Instagram. Right. 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 Yeah. And, and that's again, one of the good things about social media is I thought, great. I don't have to give her access to see that. Like obviously it's triggering something for her and that's okay. But I'm not going to put myself in a situation where I'm second guessing every single time I do this. Exactly, And I like that. I mean, you had talked about that where even, you know, people, we all agreed she was unkind and I shouldn't give her a second thought. But then it's like the brain's going to do what it's going to do. Right. So then after that, then you go through and well, I don't know, have I been? And, and really, our goal is getting you, the, the, you clo- as close to authentic as you can be. Right. Mm-hmm. And just it's like, OK, if that's the way I'm processing, that's the way I'm processing. And, uh, and if that's what, and I love that you're, you're talking with your kids about this. And I mean, I love that, that you're the one that gets to drive the narrative and there are going to be people that bring their own baggage 
into even a viewing something or hearing this or, um, you know, and it's, and, and it's okay. They can do them. Yeah, right? It's okay. And I think that for my kids, it's been, they've all handled it a little bit differently. Yeah. But seeing them and the way that they connect with him and the, the things that they understand, I mean, my eight-year-old, whenever the incident in Target happened and I was yeah. in tears and she was going afterwards, she was like, mom, it's okay. We can just tell him we have a baby brother in heaven. And I was like, oh yeah, we can. And like, so <laughs> yeah. I, like I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm betraying him if I don't say anything. I also feel like I'm exposing myself, like a really vulnerable part of myself to a target cashier that I've never met if I talk about it. And so just seeing their like innocence and their ability to take something really complex and the simple, sweet um, truths that they understand that we sometimes lose has been really helpful for me. And I think helpful for them. We have a little, they all have little bears that we made while I was pregnant. Um, And we have one that was made that we made for Bodhi. And so Sometimes like when one of them is sad, they'll say like, oh, I want to snuggle with my Bodhi bear uh-huh. or like, have a little book that we read at night that, um, that she calls like her Bodhi book, you know, and just things like that, where that's really helped me. Like that's been really healing for me too. And so I think that, yeah, just being really, um, open with kids and not, again, not forcing them to talk about it if they don't want to talk about it but making sure that they know that they can talk about it. If they're ever feeling sad, if they want to share at school, they can, but they don't ever have to. I think Um, that's kind of gotten me through. I feel like this last year where I've said like, okay, I'm struggling, but I want to make sure that my kids can process this and not just look back and be like, man, remember when mom was so sad and she couldn't talk in and, yeah. Don't talk about anything. Yeah. And I feel like part of that too, it sounds like for you is, and let them know it's okay for them to talk about it. I, I feel like, you know, if uh, at Target, you could have been, you know, oh, we don't say that, you know, but I'm so glad, right. You were saying, Hey, that's, that's, she said it and uh, let's talk about it. I'm not afraid to have those conversations. Right. Yeah. Um, in the article you said, and I just want to quote this, everyone should be allowed to grieve on their own terms and on their own timeline. Uh, bereaved parents need to be validated and supported in their efforts to remember and memorialize their children. There is no limit to the depth or duration of the grief and pain associated with the death of a child. That, that you know, touched me. I know I'm talking even with my own mom uh, uh, not too long ago. Um, I guess my, my brother died 30 years ago or so. And, and it's like, you know, obviously she still thinks about him and that's okay. There's no mm-hmm. reason to tell somebody, really, you know, it's been that long. And right, that's not a productive comment, right? After... Um Barbara Bush passed away. I read something about how she had a daughter that I think passed away when she was like four years old. Mm -hmm. Um, And they mentioned that in the article that still when somebody would talk to her about it or ask her about it, she would always tear up. And I think people sometimes take that as, Oh no, I hit a sore. Like I shouldn't have brought that up. Right. For me. And I think for a lot of people, what you said of like, you're not reminding them that their child died. Right. That's not something that you, they, they haven't forgotten. Them. Right. Yeah. It just, a lot of times like the, like crying and having that release of like somebody else cares, somebody else remembers is just so 
sweet that, yeah, it does make you kind of cry. It's hard to, it, it makes you get choked up, but not like, why would you ever bring that up or why, you know? Yeah. Oh, uh, Laura, I, I, that this was wonderful. I'm, I'm, I'm going to link to the article and, uh, I just really, really appreciate you being willing to share. I mean, this was, I don't know. I feel like you've helped me now to be a better therapist. Um, I, I feel like people are going to take away from this, uh, that it's okay to let your kids talk about difficult things. Um, and, uh, even helping a lot of people that are going to, I don't know if their friends go through this, they're going to be able to sit with them and, 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 and be able to kind of have the conversations. And that was, I just really appreciate you doing that. Well, thanks so much. And I also, um, and I can send it to you, but I just, after, once we started kind of, I was looking at the questions, I thought, oh, I should link to some resources oh, that geez. I think are helpful. Okay. So I just started like a little Instagram that has like a link tree to oh. that I've liked or some podcasts I've listened to. So I'll send that to you. It's really, I started it yesterday. Please. Okay. To do this, But I'll keep working on it and I'll send that to you. And yeah, if people have other questions or want to um get some resources that i think have been really helpful then okay. what's, the, what's the instagram account um, uh, dr laura sparrow perfect okay uh, okay dr laura sparrow so i will link like crazy um i i don't know if you'd be willing to i'd love to talk to you about the work you've done with the you know the, the children and disabilities and that sort of thing maybe at, sure. a, at a future time yeah that sounds great okay thanks so much laura hey i'm gonna hit stop and then hang on just a second okay, okay flying past our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind it's wonderful elastic waste and rubber ghost i'm floating past the midnight hour they push aside the things that matter most Thank you.